Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Thousands of years ago, the Buddha taught, you are what you think. So a modern philosopher coined the phrase that you are what you eat. Today, like millions of my human sisters and brothers on planet Earth, I'm becoming mindful about what I eat, what I think. But lately, I've been thinking about this. I watch what I eat, but do I watch what I watch? It's Karen Drucker coming to you from San Francisco, California, and I am here to say that I love watching The Next Normal with Sister Jenna. I get transformed. I am inspired. It's deep. It's wise. It's wonderful, just like her. I hope you're watching it, too. Sister Jenna is one of the purest, most sublime spirits I've encountered. Gentle voice, gentle sound but booming spirit. She makes life more graspable. I listen to her. I see and sense and say to her and about her, she's a woman of good, a woman of God, a woman of elevated consciousness. I'm so glad to be a part of your life and that you are a part of mine and that we are all together a part of each other's. Peace and blessing. Om Shanti. Welcome everyone to the next normal, a special segment in collaboration with America Meditating Radio. I hope everyone's doing exceptionally well as we approach pretty delicate times in the United States and also on a global level. I've heard global leaders are also sitting on pins and needles watching what's going on in the United States of America. So just imagine what everybody is feeling at a global level. There is no mystery that whatever happens out of America goes throughout the entire world. Which is why our next conversation and our next guest is absolutely a vital one for us to have. During the Capitol Hill riots that took place a while back, there were individuals who were chanting things that were very unkind. And there was even an image of 
a few folks that were wearing t-shirts and stuff that said Camp Auschwitz. And again, this intense anti-Semitic vibration that has now plagued a part of our country has a lot of people on edge. It is also bringing up a lot of memories that were very, very painful. And when you think about it at a super soul level, I mean, what are people thinking that you would even own up to something as atrocious as the Holocaust, genocides in Rwanda? It just goes on and on. So at what point in time are we going to look for the real answers? At one point in time, are we going to stop following the herd mentality and ask our own souls, who am I? What is my purpose? What's my meaning? Who do I belong to? Where am I from as a soul? This conversation with our guest is going to be a heartfelt one. It'll be one that will raise your awareness and have you think deeper to make some serious choices as to how you really want to live your life. And what I love about Rabbi Simon Jacobson, who we're going to have on just shortly, is that he comes completely from the heart. Yes, well sought after scholar in the Judaic religion, but heartfelt and spiritually elevated. He looks more not at a religious way of life, but he looks at more the transcending of one's life. So just to give you an idea, Rabbi Simon Jacobson is return guest actually to America Meditating Radio, and he's considered to be one of the greatest scholars and most sought-after speaker of the Jewish world today. Yet, his message is for all people. Rabbi Simon Jacobson is the author of the best-selling book, Toward a Meaningful Life, and founding dean of the Meaningful Life Center based in good old Brooklyn, New York. His blueprint for modern-day life is based on 3,300 years of moral, spiritual, Kabbalistic, and historical wisdom. He's been seen on over 300 radio and TV shows, including CBS, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, NPR, and he's also the chairman and publisher of the Algemeinir Journal, the fastest-growing Jewish newspaper in America, according to CNBC. Please, I'd like to take this time to warmly welcome Rabbi Simon Jacobson. I can't be more thrilled than to welcome you, Rabbi Simon Jacobson, to the next normal and special collaboration with America Meditating Radio. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts to take the time to join us this evening. So there's a lot going on in our hearts, in our minds, in the United States of America, but also energetically around the world. And I want to get right to it because something has emerged since the events that took place on Capitol Hill about anti-Semitism really becoming a little bit, having too much of a platform to basically say this is a right thing to do, a right thing to be. And I'm curious to hear what your feelings were when Perhaps you saw the image of one of the protesters having Camp Auschwitz on his T-shirt and, you know, just all of these incredible scenes in the 21st century that we were not expecting to see because the intention is that we're evolving (laughs) as a civilization and we're recognizing that we're getting lingering images, lingering thoughts, lingering behaviors of a period of time that was so atrocious that we're like, no, we can't go back there. What are you feeling and what was going through your mind and your heart as you witnessed the scenes on Capitol Hill? 
First of all, thank you for having me. The feelings are mutual. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the depths of my heart to yours and to your audience. Well, my feelings were very pained, to be honest, very pained. Not just the anti-Semitic elements. I'll just go broader than that. Whenever you see people behaving in a lawless fashion, with violence, to me, that's a travesty, especially in the capital of our country, which is based on that all people are created equal. And we all have the right, yes, of freedom of expression and freedom of assembly, but under the rules of law and order. So any type of behavior of this nature, where one group attacks another group, here the legislative branch, to me, that was the overriding sense of real pain because it's so antithetical of everything that I stand for, everything I believe in, everything we believe in, which is that we can't find ways, even if we disagree, peaceful and civil ways to communicate. So any type of aggressive behavior is to me a terrible tragedy against human beings, against God, against the cosmic order. As a Jew, obviously, I'm acutely sensitive to the discrimination that we as a people have gone through literally centuries, and especially in the latest 70 years ago, the brutalization by the Nazis. But I will say this as well, as a Jew, I don't see that as a Jewish issue. I see it as a human issue. Attacking any innocent person, whether they're Jew, black, white, Christian, Muslim, atheist, Hindu, Buddhist, you name it, is attacking part of God's plan. God created us all. Each of us has an indispensable role to play. And hurting and abusing, discriminating against any individual is an attack on all individuals, on the entire human race, and above all, on God's master plan. Because God put us here. Correct. That was my initial and most powerful reaction that this country has come to a point of such polarization and frankly fed by different interests for their own gain, whether it's political interests or media interests. And I'm glad you brought it up. I believe this is one of the reasons of a platform like this, where we can protest in a kind and gentle way, obviously, but an adamant way and a firm way that this is just not the approach. And we have to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. I like that. I like the usage of your word that our platform, whether it's your daily IGTV sessions that you do on Instagram, which I like a lot and I do listen to them quite frequently, or some of the messages that you send out and just even our next normal and the work of AM radio. I never gave that the thought, Rabbi Simon, that this was our peaceful way of protesting and say, I think there's another way that we can do this. The other thought that I had was the distractions. I want to talk about the distractions. You said something that it's not even just about being Jewish, but it's just about being a human being. And I've noticed the narrative for the last few years of distracting a group of individuals in the United States, as well as the world, where there's a finger pointing of Democrat, Republicans. This is because of the Democrats. This is because of the Republicans. This media affiliate covers the true news. This media affiliate is fake news. And what happens is that if you're not discerning and you're not using your own intelligence, then you go to the direction of the distraction and you lose sight that what this particular period is actually inviting us into 
is to be a humanity that supports each other. But there are people who are winning if we get divided. And I would like if you can talk to that, if you have noticed the thread of the enormous amount of distractions that have taken place in the last few years and how it has fed a particular group of individuals. And the second question is, what can we do to get rid of the distraction and find the real meaning here? Excellent question, and I'm glad you asked it. I just want to share my own personal experience. My parents are both Russian-born. They came here after World War II. But I grew up in a very, I would say, mystical Hasidic community. I knew individuals by name who I saw every day that didn't even know what's happening in the news. They were so spiritual and so connected and grounded and anchored, it will call into the infinite truths of reality. That was what mattered to them. They were not distracted, not by media, not by entertainment, not by sports. And they were in touch. We're not talking about people who are completely out of touch. But their reality was defined from within. And anything that happened around them was part of the props, part of how to understand life. I have to say, in stark contrast, this country, with all its beauty, has been spoiled. Our prosperity, our success, our technology has made things so easy. You just press a button, Amazon Prime is at your door. We access things so easily that we've taken for granted our values and our freedoms. We haven't had to fight a war in years, which is a blessing. What happens is when you have success and prosperity, there's a downside. It's called apathy, apathy and indifference. And we tend to become more superficial. I'll just share with you, just the pandemic, of course, has been a global wake-up call. Just a few months ago, I spoke to a group of public school children, high school children, and they asked me to share some words in these trying times. Really a cross-section of this country. There were people from California, Arizona, New York, Florida, different states. And I asked them a question. I said, what are the three most important priorities in your life now? And they said, all of them, more or less consensus. My relationships, my love, my values. I said, what would you have answered in January 2020? And they all, again, said similar answer. Sports, entertainment, sexuality, money. We have become so used to the comforts that we often have forgotten that compass, that GPS of what really makes a human being a human being. And the media, in that sense, feeds into it. Marketing feeds into it. People who want to cash in, so to speak, they feed on it. So it becomes the blind leading the blind, where the media says that's what the people want. The people say that's what the media is feeding us. Other entities are taking advantage for their own personal gain. And most of the population are lost in the sense where you get direction from. How do you know what's a value? Where's your compass? Who's the captain of the ship? Who's running the show? And I think the result of that is what we have right now. Basically, all kinds of forces, people going obsessing, becoming extremists, one direction or another. You either hate someone or you totally love them. There's no middle ground. There's no gray areas. It's either you hate Trump or you love Trump. Why we talk like intelligent people? That's usually the result of a mindlessness, of a herd mentality, where people have forgot what their soul is. I'm not saying this to be critical. I think it's a tremendous opportunity now. When you see all of this, this is the silver lining. 
This is an opportunity for us to say, enough is enough. What happened to me? What happened to my voice? Are you singing your song? Are you fulfilling your calling, your mission in this world? What are your higher values? And when people start asking those questions and focus on that, automatically they will be less distracted by all this nonsense. I call it nonsense, but it's unfortunately also dangerous. But nonsense in the context of superficiality. You just hit the mark. That when we start to really ask ourselves, what are my values? What does my soul need? And get out of this herd mentality. I said the same thing, Rabbi. I said, you see all those people all together? They're all influenced now by each other's vibrations. But get them on their own, they would be so afraid and so insecure. And I think maybe this is the opportunity. You've just given one of the greatest answers of all time that when you get out of the herd mentality and you realize that the herd mentality will not be there to save you, it'll be you who's going to save yourself. The question is, what does the soul need? What are my values? What's my mission in life? How do I stand and shine God's light, so to speak, which is really what we want to see in the world right now. In terms of the soul, when we look at the energy of the soul, there were souls, you know, at Capitol Hill that had gotten under this incredible influence of a narrative that is really untrue. And needless to say, some of the most intelligent people fell under that particular influence as well, whether it was some of the GOP leaders or maybe special interest people or whatever it might be. They began to really question, like, oh my gosh, was the election rigged? Did it really get stolen? When they really knew that it didn't. Now, how important it is for us to be selective with what we choose to listen to. But one of the things that I've recognized, Rabbi, is how souls get addicted to a particular energy of listening to stuff. So you get into all of this drama. I knew a sister friend of mine, and all she watched was Fox News. And I went to visit her once, and all I could hear her tell me is just what she heard in Fox. And I looked at her with empathy, not apathy. I looked at her with empathy and questioned, what happened? And then I realized this is what's happening to a big chunk of America who believes in that rhetoric and has lost sight in their own thinking ability. Let's go to the soul. What direction would you offer a soul to be able to shift gears to a higher level of looking at life? Sure. I just want to comment on what you said. I think it's important, not for equal treatment, but I look at both sides of the aisle. I know some people who only feed their narrative by CNN. And I am not a CNN or a Fox guy, as you probably know. And I'm not a Trump guy or a Biden guy. I try to be a godly person and figure out what God wants and how God uses us all. But I just wanted to say that in this country, unfortunately, people are buying into all types of narratives. And I'm not saying to disagree with what you just said. I just wanted to put it into context. Let's move to the soul. The soul is the single most important part of a person's life. It's the driving engine. It's your very life. And I like to think of it in terms of your soul being also your DNA that carries your life instructions in the sense of what is your calling and mission in life. So if we all were born and with a little box coming out of our mother's womb and said, this is your mission, go ahead and do it. That would make it a little easier, but that's not the way God planned it. We have to find that mission and we have to make sure we don't get distracted by the means and know what the end is like. So 
growing up in a healthy home, a nurturing home, where the focus is, we are here to bring light to this world. You are here, my dear son, my dear daughter, my dear child, parent would say to their child on a daily basis, you are here, I am here to take my corner of the world, your corner of the world, and make it a little better than it was before you entered. And that's through acts of kindness and virtue and nobility, being a giver rather than a taker. And yes, we have our needs for survival and we have our needs that are about my own existence, self-interest, but the driving force should be in your life always. How are you bringing more light? How are you an ambassador, an agent of some higher reality? That's on a very basic level. And we commit ourselves on a daily basis, not once in a while when we're in the mood or when we're suffering. We commit ourselves on a daily basis. I like to call it immersing ourselves in the spiritual spa. Spa as an acronym of study, prayer, and action. Basically cognitive conditioning, emotional conditioning, and behavioral conditioning of aligning our minds, our hearts, and our actions toward good deeds. It's sometimes as simple as that. And being deliberate about it. You wake up in the morning. There's a one-line mantra or prayer or chant that I use. It's based on old Jewish tradition. Thank you for returning my soul to me. But say it with intention. It doesn't require 20 minutes. You could do it in three minutes. But with quality, it puts focus it's like the hub. It's like you're stating your personal mission statement before you begin your busy day. And throughout the day, look for signposts. Take moments where you maybe just pick up the phone or you send a text, kind word, can be to a stranger, can be to a friend. You're constantly looking for ways to improve life. And when something happens that's a negative, let's say all this news, such a distraction, look for ways, how can you bring light into the picture? Don't become part of the debate. Maybe let's all rise above the fray and let's talk about what are the higher values of this country? Why are we getting caught up in this narrative or that narrative. I mean, I'm just giving examples. I think when a person has that type of focus and slowly builds upon it, it shifts our narrative. It shifts our framework, how we frame the story, how we frame the picture. So if we had a childhood and education that taught us that, it'll make it easier. But it's never too late to begin. Wherever you are right now, especially during this pandemic where we have so much opportunity to look inward and our outer superficial realities have become shaken up and disrupted, this is the best time of all to become more soul-centric instead of, let's call it, body-centric. So as we're navigating during these particular times and we're trying to find the best part of ourselves during a pandemic, during so-called revolution in the United States of America, it's the beginning of a new year. Everybody has dreams and goals and wish for the best. And we are now in the midst of just really trying to do the hard work, trying to be better people, like you've said. That it's time for us to raise our vision, raise our values, to go beyond the rhetoric that we see on the nightly news. Religious places, majority of them are still locked. And some of us are born in specific religions. Some of us convert in other religions. Some of us leave our religion that we're born in to go into another religion, and then we sometimes end up going right back to what we were born in. Does religion have a role to play now? The reason I'm asking the question 
It's been around for thousands of years, and look where we've become. Yes, there are less wars, but there are also more people. There are almost 8 billion people. Yes, there's famine. Yes, 75% of human rights violations exist on a global level. Yes, the global climate is in dire need of our help and support. Religion was supposed to do what for us? Does religion still have a part to play? And I ask you this question with utmost respect for religion. I ask you this question because I value what you say in the insights and how you look at things. What has religion done so far? And is there still a role for religion to play in these times? I actually appreciate your question, and I take it in the best possible way. You'd be surprised to hear <laughs> that I am actually a little an anti-religious type of guy. <laughs> Let me explain what I mean. I would divide religion into two different ways of defining it. There's religion that I call bureaucracy, corporate religion, which obviously is driven by self-interest very often, by power and influence. And we've seen the abuse of religion throughout history, the religious wars, how people used religion just to wield power over others. And it was not necessarily emancipation of the soul or spiritual. Ritual and spiritual don't always go hand in hand. But my understanding of religion, since we're using that word, the healthy form of religion is not about bureaucracies or establishment. It's about God. It's helping you get beyond your egocentric life, your natural inclination to take care of yourself and to become more transcendent human being. Now, I know many people have not experienced religion that way. I grew up in a religious world. I know its strengths. I know its weaknesses. I actually very often saw some of the mediocrity, some of the conformity, some of the judgment. Religious people can be the most judgmental, condescending, angry, in the name so God, and not necessarily healthy people. But I've also seen deeply spiritual people, which I would call religious people. So actually the pandemic, if it weren't for the pain and the loss, it would be just a beautiful thing, an excellent opportunity to challenge what religion really is. Is it about going to a house of worship and joining a club? Is it another one of your comfort zones? I know many people have asked me, they said, I can't go to synagogue. I can't go to church. I can't go to my house of worship. So I said, you know, why are you going to a house of worship? You want to speak to God, right? What happens if God doesn't want you to go to the house of worship? He wants you to pray to him from your home. It may not be your comfort zone, but it may be exactly what God wants of you now. In other words, it's a challenge to get out of what I would call the cultural element of religion, that we feed into the elements of herd mentality. You have that plenty in religion. And allow ourselves to become far more free thinkers in the sense of, does it have to be structured exactly like this or like that? Maybe it's about you, your heart and soul in its relationship with the divine, with something transcendent. So in answering your question, I would say religion, I would use a different word. I would use transcendence, spiritual growth. To me, that's not optional. Just as a body needs nourishment, your soul needs nourishment. The word religion can be a positive, it could be a negative. If it's a negative, I'm perfectly fine with it being discarded. If it's a positive, which means it's part of its rituals and traditions and commitments that help us all become more spiritual human beings, more giving, 
then it's part of that spiritual journey. That's how I would phrase it. To me, it's like musical notes. And musical notes on a piece of paper, and you don't know what they are, it looks like gibberish. When you play the music, and it transports you to another time and plays, that to me is a healthy religion. That the traditions or the rituals or the commitments and the community are about a deeper transcendent experience. Well put. I loved your response very much. I got a text message from a top political leader on the day of the riots. And the question from her was, where is God in all this, Sister Jenna? That was her question. Just one text message. Where is God in all this? And of course, pray for us. And it was hard for me to respond, so I had to do a voice response to her. I couldn't text these words. And I said, God is present for every child. But if the child's attention isn't in remembrance of God, but it's in thinking or in remembrance of the five vices that take over consciousness, and I use this acronym regularly, A for anger, L for lust, G for greed, A for attachment, and E for ego. If that child of God is focused on that energy within themselves, then what you see is what we witnessed on Capitol Hill and what we see is what we witnessed throughout history. But God is present if you remember the divine. If you remember the energy of God, then what will become present in your personality are the original qualities that he had put in you as an inheritance. The love, the peace, the purity, the truth, the joy. Can you imagine anybody with that consciousness in their personality? You think they'll be scaling the walls of the Capitol? You think they'll be banging down the windows? You think they'll be beating up police officers? Absolutely not. So when folks ask us, right, folks like us in the spiritual realm, leading a lot of individuals, where is God in all this? How do you usually respond to them? That was my response, and that's the response I've kept for years, because to me that's the truth, and truth never changes. It just makes you different every time you hear it. But when they ask you that question, Rabbi, how do you generally respond? Well, I really like your response. I think it's an excellent response, and I concur and agree the way you phrased it. The different ways I remember talking about my being Jewish 70 years ago, 80 years ago, though I wasn't born yet, my brothers and sisters and families were being gassed, six million of them, one and a half million innocent children. And of course, they had the big question, where was God there? I'm not comparing tragedies. You can imagine that question has plagued my own people, and I believe all human beings from the beginning of history, whenever you see injustice, genocides, whether it's on a small scale or on a large scale, every Holocaust, whether it's an individual level, and I deal often with a lot of painful situations, with abuse, people hurting each other, parents hurting children, horrendous situations. So dealing with a suicide recently, terrible. So the question where God is in all of this always haunts us. So my response generally is the following. In the words that God said to Job, the great sufferer in the book of Job, when Job asked God, why do you allow good people to suffer? and wicked people to prosper. And God's response to him, this always resonates with me deeply, says, you ask me this question, it's a good question. However, were you there when I created heaven and earth that you asked me this question? Do you ask me why there's birth and life and beauty and joy? Or you only ask me when things are not good, where am I? 
because the mystery of death goes hand in hand with the mystery of birth and the mystery of joy goes hand in hand with the mystery of pain. And when you see darkness, whatever form of darkness goes hand in hand with the mystery of light. So the first thing is the humble recognition that we don't know the mysteries of existence. As you put it very clearly, God is everywhere. One of the great the Hasidic Rebbes was once asked, where is God? He says, wherever you let him in. So God is everywhere, but you have to let him in. If your ego or your anger or the five different vices you mentioned get in the way, God, in a sense, is trapped, so to speak, because you're not letting him into your life. So the mystery is of why that's possible. Why would God create a universe where that's possible? Free will, our ability to do great things for each other, but also our ability to destroy each other. That's already the deeper mysteries. So I don't have an answer for the why. The answer question is, what are we going to do about it? So when you see such behavior, whether what we saw in Washington, or for that matter, frankly, attacks on police that were innocent back months ago, even though there were abuses, any type of attack on anyone. From my perspective is, what are we going to do about it? To me, it's again a wake-up call of us to access, not the selfish perspective on life, which allows you to hurt others, but that higher view and that higher sense of purpose that allows us to be freed from this type of hatred and this type of prejudices and biases and so on. So Rabbi, let me jump in here. I think we're touching on something really important. My personal sense of belief, I believe that God is omniscient. I feel that if he was omnipresent, there would be heaven on earth. And I think that when we have this notion of him being omnipresent, but we don't let him in. I mean, this is a big discussion. I mean, we all say that this energy of God is the cure. This energy of God is the light. This energy of God is us. It's our father. It's our mother. It's our teacher. It's our guru. When I go traveling around the world and listen to stories, abuse in homes have increased 57% during the pandemic. And so let's put aside God is omnipresent and just see how humanity feels just for a minute. He's not omnipresent. He's specifically available as an energy. If you're willing to tap into that energy, like you beautifully said, if you're willing to let the energy of God in, then you will see heaven on earth. Why are we blocking this beautiful energy of love I have interviewed, Rabbi, so many individuals who have had near-death experiences, and there's not one that has ever come back to tell me that when they died and they felt God and they went into the light, that they came back a more horrid person. They all came back kinder, sweeter, more loving, and more peaceful. Every single one of them. They had such a turnaround in their lives. And this happened when they died and then came back thousands of cases. So is it that our humanity has to practice having a near-death experience, and I'm not saying physically dying to the body, but having a near-death experience where you really seriously tell yourself, let me stop being attached to my name, my gender, my role, my religion, my country, my title, my stories. Let me die to those narratives. And now, God, please 
I'm yours. And then you let that energy into you. And just imagine, Rabbi, 7.6 billion human beings remembering God in that way. Wouldn't that be heaven on earth? I mean, imagine if you're really just, I'm yours. I mean, just imagine how the world would function. So I just wanted to kind of throw that out. What if we removed the notion of omnipresent? Because then I sometimes wonder to myself, there's no way you would make six million Jews die like that. And I don't believe that those six million souls didn't have you in their hearts at that time. Tell me the secret. Tell me the mystery. And it just feels like there are such deep secrets inscribed in the universe or in the drama that it takes us back to what you said, that we must ask our own souls, what is my purpose? What is my value? Who am I? And that we have to be able to respond to those questions truthfully. Would you like to talk a little bit on what I've just shared? Absolutely. Very well put. The billion dollar question, which I will share with you, is addressed directly by many, but in the literature I grew up with, by the mystics and the Kabbalists who asked that big question. If true reality is divine, unity, love, how is it possible that human beings can so easily stray and wander from their own very essence, from their own very calling. A beautiful analogy that is used in one of the Talmudic books, tractates, is that the human race is like one large organism. Arms, legs, a head, a torso, a chest, heart, liver, and so on. All part of one organism. It's not some of the parts not a composite, it's one. And just as it's inconceivable that a right hand would strike the left hand because it's competitive or jealous or something like that, it should be equally inconceivable for one human being to hurt another. It's part of your own being. You hurt another, you're hurting yourself. It's like the guy that was on a rowboat with a bunch of friends and he decides to drill a hole underneath his seat. And they say, what are you doing? He says, I paid for this seat. This, this is one boat, we're all in it together. You draw a hole there, we all are going to be affected. So how is it possible? How could a sane human being hurt another when that person is part of you? So to use the words of the great mystic, 16th century mystic, his name was Isaac Luria. Lurianic Kabbalah, it's called. He uses a word called actually the secret of the tzimtzum, the secret of the concealment, that in a mysterious way, God... Because God wanted another consciousness, an independent consciousness like us, concealed his presence and his consciousness from existence so that we can emerge in our feeling, feeling that we're self-contained entities. The purpose is that we are wise enough to see through the veil, see through the curtain, and recognize that our purpose is to transcend this darkness and this concealment and then reconnect with the creator, with God. But the downside is that if we misunderstand this concealment, we can actually feed into it and make it much worse and convince ourselves. It's actually called a moment of insanity, a moment of blindness, where you don't recognize that the other is abstention of you. 
and you are an extension of the other. And we're all musical notes of one large symphony. And if you don't play your note, everyone else is compromised and the other doesn't play their note. You're compromised. But the blindness is so deep and profound that we can actually not just ignore the other, we can actually hurt ourselves by hurting another and not realizing it. So the mystery is, in my view, answered by the fact, the other side of the coin is that when you do make the right choice and you don't feed into this black hole and recognize that we're all part of one mosaic, one field of energy, just different diverse elements of it, and we discover harmony within diversity, you have a beauty that's unparalleled. And that was the ultimate intention. So it pains, it's terrible to see. I mean, I look at myself sometimes and I behave in a way that I find I did something selfish, self-interest. You know, I hope not to have hurt anybody, but it's inevitable. We all have those moments. And I say to myself, but how could you feed into a lie? It's not true. That other person is part of you. So they may have a different opinion. And that, I think, is really ultimately drama of life. That's why I really love to be with you on this program, because I believe that every time we counter that dark state by coming together and recognizing that we're all really part of higher reality, and we all have different chapters of one longer narrative, and the beauty is in our diversity. We don't have to be clones. We don't need conformity. Play your song, play your music, respect another's, and realize that we all become richer. To me, that is why we're here. Perfect. So well put. Inspiring. Everyone, if you're just joining us for The Next Normal in collaboration with America Meditating Radio, we are having a deep, heartfelt conversation with Rabbi Simon Jacobson and myself, and we're going through a lot of real important aspects of our lives, and really, I'm enjoying it so much. Are you hopeful? Do you believe there's a golden age coming? In Indian culture or Hinduism, we believe that we're in the spirit of Kali Yuga, which is the age of darkness. And the age of darkness means individuals have become more ridden with algae. So that means they're more selfish. They don't really look out for other people's well-being. There isn't a connection to God, the supreme being. There isn't a connection to themselves. They're not focused on the deeper, pure aspect of themselves. So when you have a society that is under the subtle, collective herd mentality, that you have permission to have algae in your personality. When that gets to a very high percentage, it's Kali Yuga. So it's an iron age. The inner intelligence of the personality of individual, it's not flexible. It doesn't bend towards the deeper inner truth of oneself. It doesn't bend towards the deeper inner peace and the real true spiritual prosperity of the soul. It will go towards where the soul keeps losing power, where the soul keeps losing energy by investing in the world of matter, which is governed by algae. And so it states in Hinduism that after Kali Yuga, there's a period called the confluence, Sangam Yuga, which is what I feel we're in. We're in an age of transformation. And events will occur that will force us to go inside of the soul and make important decisions. Either I serve the higher vibration of who I really am, or I continue to be influenced by the herd mentality of the algae consciousness, the limited consciousness. And so I think that there are a lot of souls in this particular period, this age of transformation called the confluence age, 
And there's like a few that's coming out, you know, the leaders in this particular part, they're like, I've got this, I'm going to fix them. I'm putting my spirit together so that I'm a part of the continuity because energy never dies. So in Hinduism, there's a saying that it'll come a golden age. We've heard about a utopia. We hear about heaven on earth. We hear about a world where everyone lives in harmony. <laughs> Do you still believe that? I spoke to a chemist in India, and she went back to visit a relative that had to do surgery because that's the emergency travel plans that they have now. And she said, oh, wow, this is how she said it. Sister, I cannot believe golden age is going to come in India. It's just no way it's going to happen. And I said, you know what? Nobody could believe that the world would lock down and everybody would have the same collective karma. So you know what? Let us not lose hope that a golden age will come where human beings are filled with virtues and they live these virtues with each other. So the question is, do you believe there will be a time when we will all just get along? There will be a golden age, that there will be a heaven on earth and we don't wait to go up there? Absolutely and unequivocally, yes. I find it very fascinating because what you just quoted from the Hinduism is parallels very closely to what it says in some of the Jewish mystical texts, that we are at a threshold of that golden age. And at times it is darkest right before the dawn. And there's another beautiful expression that when that confluence, as you put it, or I'd call the convergence of matter and spirit, preceding that sometimes you need to reveal the final toxins. You know, like when you go into a Turkish bath, the heat opens up the pores and the toxins begin to be released. And the last stage, when you really have to heighten the heat, the final toxins emerge. So there's an expression in the book of Daniel in the Bible that says that in the end of days, meaning right proceeding to the golden age, the last toxins will show their head. They'll show their face. Because when they're concealed, they're far more dangerous. So the fact that there are setbacks and the fact that there are moments of may cause some people to have despair is all part of the bigger picture. And the way I've always put it is this way, that after following the three revolutions, agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution, and now the information revolution or the computer revolution, that the final revolution will be a spiritual revolution where there'll be a focus on the final frontier, which is the convergence of the physical world and its spiritual counterpart, basically matter and energy, matter and spirit. I see it in so many different ways. And the pandemic has definitely exposed that possibility because many of the progress that we have experienced, the fact of the matter is the wars, the bloodshed, the violence, though it's far from a perfect world, has definitely gone down over the centuries. Even technology itself, which is neutral, but it allows us to communicate in a way that we never have communicated before. The prophet Isaiah says that there will be no more destruction and no more evil because the world will be filled with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. In his time, there was no internet. There was no broadcast. There were no ways to communicate in that way. We have now the tools for billions of us to share goodness and kindness. Yes, it could also be used in destructive ways. That's how it is with all power. So there are many, many advancements. 
whether it's in medicine or science, technology, even in politics. You know, there was no country before the United States was founded 300 years ago, or a little more, whatever their number is. The world was ruled by monarchs, was ruled by despots. Some of them were benevolent, some were not. The concept that all of us are equal and that we have rights and that institutionalized, though again, we have plenty of challenges, these are to me signs that we are transitioning to that golden age, as you put it. And I'll say one final thing. In the mystical teachings, they teach about the concept that when you have a paradigm shift from one state of being to another, you always have to go through a transition that is going to be disruptive. A seed needs to deteriorate in the ground before it turns into a sapling. A mother goes through birth pains before giving birth to a beautiful child. Creativity is a child of frustration. It always proceeded by frustration. Because as they say, if you want the same of the old, then you stay in your comfort zone. There's no change. Every paradigm shift is going to go through a stage of, I'll call it disruption. The disruption of the pandemic, the disruption of the internet, disturbing the whole commercial world, the way commerce was done. The disruption even politics today, whether it's due to Trump or other forces at work. At the moment, these are all very unpleasant and very uncomfortable in many ways, but I believe it's a disruption of an old world order that will lead to a new world order that we call the golden age. And I have no doubt about it. It drives my work every moment. I feel we're going toward that. Sometimes you don't always see there's a curve, twists and turns, but we're definitely going to that place. And many schools of thought have predicted, have described it, but I don't see it even as a prophecy. I see it as a reality emerging and the most exciting part of it is that we are partners in the unfolding drama of leading the world to personal and global redemption. Well said. Touche. Wow. Perfect. Well, I'm so glad that we're going to be traveling to the golden age together. <laughs> and listen, yes. sometimes I do something called spiritual fire. It's like rapid fire. And I ask you one word and I want you to share with us what comes immediately to your mind in one word. Ready? Yes. COVID. Wake up call. Politics. <laughs> Confusion and mayhem. America. E pluribus unum, from many one. I love that one. God. A higher true reality. Soul. Our indispensable mission in this world. Simon Jacobson. Trying to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. <laughs> That's absolutely perfect. Rabbi Simon Jacobson, thank you for your beauty, your grace, your authenticity, that which I have felt from the first time we connected, which is why I told everybody I want Rabbi Simon on our show as much as possible. And I really feel that the energy and the spirit that you bring forth is a much needed one to help heal our nation. So on behalf of all of us here, we thank you so much for your wisdom and your love and your service. Are there any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our incredible audience? Any tips that we could take away as to how we can be better and move closer to the golden age? Sure. So I thank you for welcoming back as well. That's a great endorsement, but I want to commend you equally I feel the same vibe. I feel that you bring, I believe, a serene, calm, 
spiritual energy. And I feel that even though we're using technology, I still feel that presence. I want to thank you for that. I go back to one of my favorite, but one of the poems, Oliver Wendell Holmes has a poem called The Voiceless, in which he writes this tragic line. Alas, to those that die with their song still inside them. Each of us, every one of us, you, have a unique song and music to play. Often it gets obfuscated, either due to the pressures of life, the expectations, the demands of parents, of educators. And then we have to contend with the media and with other distractions. And your song never ends up being sung. It's so sad. So I want to say, on a concluding note here, you have a beautiful song to sing. Now is an opportunity. With COVID-19 in many ways stripping us, upending many of our comfort zones, travel plans, schedule, you have the opportunity to now dig deeper and allow yourself to sing. And I bless each one of you to have the courage, to have the strength, to find the support. Sing your beautiful song. We all need it, and you above all need it. And when each of us does that, together we create this cosmic symphony, each with our different songs, our different beats, the different shades, creating one beautiful harmony, which is the golden age. So you can do it right now. You can begin immediately. No need for any preparation or introductions. You start right now. Thank you so much. We've been blessed to have you. Please stay safe, stay happy, and I'll keep seeing you on IGTV. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. An honor to be here. Thank you for having me. And I'm sure we'll do more. We'll see you again soon. Take care. Thank you. Was that not a thrilling, deep, meaningful dialogue between myself and Rabbi Simon Jacobson? Please give me your thumbs up and tell me if this wasn't one of the most heartfelt, heart-moving Of course, all of them are fantastic, but there's nothing more beautiful than just having such a truthful conversation with someone from another religious background, another gender, another mindset, and yet you both find your common denominator, love, respect, spirituality, God, peace. Anyway, please let us know through emails or on social media what you took away from this conversation. What got stirred up in you? What was served in you? What made you realize that you can take this transcendent step towards a greater version of yourself? What moved you? That's what I want to hear. What moved you in our session? Thank you so much for joining us. It means a lot. And I hope everyone's holding tight and maintaining the vigil of peace. As I've been asking, please, Everyone, every hour in the hour, just pause 30 seconds, one minute. Send your vibrations of peace. Let your vibrations of peace spread far and wide throughout America and throughout the world. We will need it. And your thoughts and vibrations of peace go into your account of absolutely good deeds, especially at a time of need. And now more than ever, we need peace. Om Shanti. Take care. Lots of love. Be well. 
Hi everyone, it's Sister Jenna from American Meditating Radio. I hope you've been enjoying Wisish, which you can get live on Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube from 8.30 a.m. to 8.45, but you can also get it on demand 24-7. It's going to be your power boost for the morning. It's your daily dose for the soul. It's just going to encourage you to make the day that much more valuable. So join us. Looking forward to seeing you. I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.